0: I'm here with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox live in the studio, and he is the head of research and development at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. And I've asked him to stay with me because joining us via Skype right now live is the wonderful Dr. Temple Grandin. And of course, those of you who are watching are probably very familiar with her. She is a hero in our community. Uh, She is a, a wonderful author and speaker and advocate. Temple, thank you so much for being with us here today. It's great to be here. Now, you are in Indianapolis right now. You just this morning gave your keynote speech at the Autism Society of America's annual conference, and I heard that it was incredible, that it was absolutely life-changing. And I'm, I'm just so thrilled that you're willing to take the time to be with us now. We've asked some of our viewers, who are largely parents, to write in some questions for you, and I'm going to start with one uh, that's about a six-year-old. The mom writes in and says uh, he's about to be six years old, excuse me, my my almost six year old son has an interest in storms and weather, specifically tornadoes. We're at the tip of tornado alley so it's not unlikely to have a threat, but so far he's never been in immediate danger. Although it seems to be a special interest, it sometimes causes a lot of anxiety and irrational fears. For example, he has claimed to be the only one who can see invisible tornadoes approaching even when they are factually not are warnings of danger. I try to support him in learning about storms, hoping the more he learns, the less anxiety he will have. Do you have any thoughts on where to go with this and if I'm headed in the right direction? Well, kids oftentimes
1: have irrational fears. Um, My irrational fear at six was Mr. Woolworth, the black cement mixer drama. And Mr. Woolworth lived under the bed, and I was afraid that if I put my foot over the bed, he'd roll out and suck me up. Wow. That just didn't make any sense. And when I was also that age, they were building a new addition on our house, and they had this big circular saw in their shed, and I somehow worried the blade might come up through the floor. But then I ended up working in the, with the building trades. So something that, you know, it gets a little older, learn about storms, that's probably probably a good thing and some of the precautions that you can take against storms. But when I was his age, I had, you know, these were Mr. Woolworth, a cement mixer drum, a black one. One rather strange fear, I certainly don't
0: have that now. Okay. And we did lots of things with cement mixers on my construction projects. And and so do you do think it's a good idea for her to encourage learning more about them? If you do it the right way, like
1: precautions you can take during a storm, for example, like where you would go if there you know a tornado might be coming. Uh, I used to be when I was older, it's high school. We had to make an emergency landing and go down the slides. And I was a white knuckle flyer all through college. And what helped me it was
0: how airplanes fly. Okay, and we're having a little bit of sticking. Um, I think if Temple, if you can hear me, and if John, if you can hear me there, we're going to take a short break and see if we can um, strengthen the signal a little bit because we're just having a little don't bit of... I sti- how to strengthen the signal, but... Well, Emily, Emily's going to try... Uh, uh, just just use calling you back So, because we want to be able to hear all of this because this right. is good information. Yes, so we're going to uh, go j- very quickly to a break and we're going to come back. We're going to try calling again, see if we can get a little bit better signal. Everybody keep your fingers crossed to the Skype gods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Skype is our friend. Skype is our friend. All right, we'll be right, right back I'm after this message. Welcome back to Autism Live. We have with us right now via Skype Temple Grandin and here in the studio we have Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. We're talking with Temple Grandin. She is in indianapolis she earlier this morning gave her keynote speech at her keynote address at the autism society of america and it was it just brought the house down so we're so thrilled to have this time with her we were having a little bit of technical difficulty before we left temple you were talking about when you were in high school and and talking about uh your fear of airplanes um and so if you'd like to pick that up there where we were talking about that and let us know what you were saying I got a lot of
1: anxiety. When I got into puberty, I started having a lot of anxiety. And when I was a senior in high school, I was in an airplane, it was like my third flight in my life, and I had to make an emer- they made an emergency landing and we went down the slides. So all through college I was terrified of airplanes. And one of the things that helped me to get over that was learning more about how airplanes worked. Because the pilot would put the landing gear down and I was sure the bottom of the plane was falling out. You know, when you learn more about something then it makes it a whole lot scary. A lot less scary. makes it a whole lot less scary. And that's something that's worked well with people that have elevator phobias. And they start learning about the mechanisms that the elevator has that will prevent it from crashing down the shaft.
0: I, I, I kind of have some elevator phobias. I think I'm gonna go learn how they work. I love that advice, Temple, that's really wonderful. Now somebody else wants to know, were you aware that you were different or unique? Uh, and then they have additionally wanna know, have you had visual stims? And what is the thought process behind those stims? I did not do
1: visual stims. Most of my sensory problems were touch sensitivity, especially scratchy clothes, and problems with loud noise. Uh, You know, autism sensory problems are extremely variable, but I've read accounts in the literature like Tito's How Can I Talk, Donna Williams' book, uh, Somebody Somewhere, where she describes almost kind of a Picasso-like vision where visual images uh, break up. There's a problem in the circuits that assemble the image file on the back of the brain. And some people that have those problems are helped with the um, Erlen colored lenses, you know, different pale colored glasses. I know a lot of people that have gone down to the local sunglass store, picked out some light lavenders or light tans or some light uh, pinks, and it's helped them with reading because the print stops jiggling on the page.
0: But again, will have a visual problem others do not have it these things are extremely variable well i'm curious temple because i remember talking to you once before and you talked about um two things that you really did enjoy doing when you were young spinning a metal plate on your bed and letting sand fall through your fingers and i remember asking you about what it was uh, that why you wanted to do that so much, and maybe you could talk to us about what is the thought process behind when you're when there's something that you want to do. Um, what what was it about spinning the plate, and what was it about the sand? I would have assumed it was visual, but now I'm wondering if it wasn't. Well, I love to watch visual things. People that have
1: problems with the visual system avoid visually stimulating things. I actually liked them. My favorite toys were airplanes and kites things that you know were visually interesting to look at, I loved flags. And when I uh, dri- dribbled the sand through my hands, I liked to study every little rock, you know, sort of like a scientist with a microscope. And when I spun this brass plate that covered up a bolt that held the bed frame together, I would spin it at different speeds then see how many times it would rotate and how it would stop rotating. It was almost sort of like a scientist uh, testing it, looking at every different way I could spin
0: it. Wow, it's always so wonderful us to hear your perspective on things because that wouldn't have occurred to me so i I appreciate as a parent knowing that um okay i want to go on to somebody wants to know what was your favorite horse of all time and they want to know why that particular horse was your favorite
1: well when i was in high school a horse i rode all the time i really liked was uh Bay lady is just brown with black mane and tail. I showed her in shows. Spent a lot of time getting her ready for shows. And this brings up an important thing. Social interaction through shared, specialized interests. The only place I was not bullied and teased in high school was specialized interests. Horseback riding, electronics lab, and the rocket club.
0: Sure. Wonderful. And so w- was one of those your favorite, or did you like those all equally? Well, horses when I was in high school was my absolute
1: big favorite, but I also really liked the the science stuff too. I remember one really cool, visually stimulating project we did took great big audio speakers and we stretched a rubber membrane across those speakers. And then we glued pieces of broken mirror to it. And when you play the music, you reflect the light off of it and it makes patterns on the wall or on the ceiling. Very cool, you know, 60s science project. still a cool thing to do today to um, make sound waves visual, very simple, very inexpensive.
0: Wonderful. It sounds really exciting. Uh, Another question that we've got here, somebody wants to know, are there any tips you can give me when I take my son to the local trampoline park? My son has a trampoline in his room and uses it for hours. He's a sensory seeker. Uh, uh, The whistles, loud kids, and music are overwhelming for him. He blocks out sound by covering his ears and making loud noises, which I can handle, but the other kids and the parents do stare. So he can do the trampoline at home, but she'd like to take him and socialize at the trampoline park, but there's too much sensory going on for him there. What would you advise? Well, there's a new treatment that's just been published.
1: There's a paper out on the internet. It's a refereed, evidence-based journal article, and it's called Environmental Enrichment is an Effective Treatment for Autism. Use keywords on Google environmental enrichment autism, Use those three key words. And the principle of this method is it's based on stimulating two senses at once. And the foundation of it is the so-called primitive senses of smell, touch, and balance. Like you might be smelling lavender while uh, touching some sandpaper. Or you're rubbing the kid's back and you're smelling another smell. Another basic principle is always changing the stimuli. and there's therapy, um, eight different aromatherapies, rotating those, uh, but always stimulating two senses. The paper is a free download. And I had one parent write to me that they tried some of these things and it helped their daughter tolerate a really noisy, awful classroom that her class had just been moved into. Fascinating. And so tell me that, again the name of it, Temple. The title of the paper is Environmental Enrichment okay. is an Effective treatment for autism. Okay. Great. i cannot remember the title,
0: three keywords: environmental, enrichment, autism. Okay. Great. I'm going to move on to the next question here. If your child is a visual and auditory learner and has mastered language arts, but math is like he cannot master, what do you do? What approach is best to help him? Getting stuck on multiplication and not moving past it is hard.
1: Okay, my, I hit the wall at algebra. And the mistake that was made in my math education was not going on to geometry, and the only way I got through college is, thank goodness, in 67, algebra was not the required course then. It was finite math. I think with something like multiplication, I actually had no problem with that. I tried making it more concrete. One of the things that helped me was to understand that multiplication is a form of adding. So you might want to take a whole lot of pennies and make sure you only use pennies. Let's say five times six will lay out your grid, five pennies across, six pennies up, and you'll lay out 30 pennies. And then you start to get the idea that it's actually a form of adding. And then I also just memorized my old-fashioned multiplication tables.
0: Wonderful. Oh, you know, we recently had your mom on on the show, and it, it was such a delight uh, to talk with your mom. And she has so many wonderful things to say about you and, and stories to share. She's just a, a wonderful, wonderful resource. So is that the way your mom did it with you? She just worked on the rote memorization, or was she? did she get out pennies? No. Well, I someone
1: at some point, I think maybe the teacher schooled at the pennies, but they did some of those things with me. Another thing, my mother had a really good sense of just how much to stretch me and push me. There's a tendency for these kids to get oversheltered. They're not learning how to shake hands. And when I was a young child, around seven or eight, I had to be party hostess at my mother's parties. And I loved it because I got to greet all the grown ups, practice my grown up skills, saying, you know, please and thank you, and serve them the snacks. And I need to do those
0: simple things, teach these skills. Absolutely. We've got a question from a 16-year-old on the spectrum who wants to know if you have any advice he would like very much to meet a girl and have a girlfriend and is overwhelmed with how to figure out how to do that.
1: I think he's most likely to meet a girlfriend through a shared interest. It could be robotics. It could be computers. It could be uh, working in theater on the school play, music, band, an art club. Get involved with the shared interests, because some of the best marriages are where there's a shared interest. book that I did with Sean Barron called The Unwritten Social Rules.
0: He might find that um, really helpful. But uh, approach it through the route. Okay, wonderful. We've got somebody who wants to know if you are still teaching and how long you plan on continue teaching. I still am
1: teaching. I plan to keep teaching until I can no longer walk or do anything anymore and i'm happy to say that one of my other colleagues at colorado state university who's 10 years older is now teaching quarter time at two different universities and he's teaching and he's teaching the um, introductory um, some of the introductory animal science classes
0: Okay. Uh, somebody, a parent wants to know, what is the best advice you can give young women when they're feeling uh, as if, uh, she says that uh, there's so many boys who have autism and our girls feel alone. Did you feel that way? And w- what advice do you give to our girls on the spectrum?
1: Well, when I was a teenager, I was more worried about teasing and bullying and uh and when I was starting out in my business, the worst thing was all the you know discrimination against girls. I mean, I was going into a man's industry, you know that was not an easy thing. The HBO movie showed a lot of that stuff, and the movie did show that accurately. I, you know, sometimes I think there gets to be too much emphasis on the autism, because one of the things that really helped me was getting interested in something I could turn into a career. I get asked, how did I get interested in cattle? I was exposed to them when I was 15. That was going out to my aunt's ranch. I almost didn't go to my aunt's ranch. My mother gave me a choice. She can say, we well, can go for a week and if you don't like it, you can come back, or you can stay all summer. I got out there and I loved it. She wasn't going to let not going at all be the choice. There's a choice, but not going wasn't going to be one of the choices.
0: I love that. So smart. Okay, I've got a long question here. I've seen many different resources claiming anywhere between 60 to 93 percent of communication is nonverbal communication. Is there a reliable study you can cite to show this? The school and state offices keep referring to communication as verbal language. I have had to constantly challenge the incorrect assumption that because my child has a lot of verbal, Verbal language, he has no communication deficits. Though he has so many, even his emotional vocabulary and abstract language is lagging, as well as body language, eye contact, gestures, behavior challenges due to miscommunication, etc. I am now in the process of challenging the state for denial of funding and would like to be as articulate as I can for this and for future advocacy. So is there anything that you're aware of, Temple, that they that they can point to that shows that nonverbal communication is very important? And a deficit in that needs to be addressed? Well, I had to learn all
1: that stuff, you know, by, you know, it's like coaching an actor in a play. You know, things that are instinctual for most people are not instinctual for me. I had to learn if somebody crosses their arms like this at a project meeting, that they're probably not too receptive to what I had to say to them, or someone's rolling their eyes. Uh, I had to learn what those things uh, uh, meant. And some of the most helpful things for me were some of the you know, the first-person accounts, you know, that I read. And there's a lot of those out there. Yeah, you know, nonverbal communication is really important. And when I was younger, phone, old-fashioned voice phone, was my favorite way of communicating because I came across a lot, I was much more normal-like and less weird on the phone because they didn't see my mannerisms. We weren't on. didn't have Skype when, I was, <laughs> when my
0: business started. Old-fashioned voice phone. Loved it. Absolutely. And now texting is such a thing. Do you feel like texting is something that helps us communicate or hinders communication? I think it's hindering communication to a certain amount, because
1: I've talked to a lot of um, uh, people that hire a lot of people at various businesses. And some of these young people don't know how to communicate. And I went to an interesting talk at a business meeting about, uh, today's teenagers have a prolonged adolescence, a shortened childhood prolonged adolescence and it's going to take longer for them to grow up and learn some of the communication things they need to learn at at work also i want to talk about the importance of learning work skills that needs to start at 12 years old when i was 13 years old mother set me up a sewing job two afternoons a week when i was 15 i cleaned eight horse stalls every day when i was in college i did career relevant internships like working in a research lab one summer we've got to set these things up short circuit that interview process you got to grease the skids in the background and just get them into these jobs I love tell that. the boss it's going to take take longer to train them but they'll be really good when you get them
0: trained. Wonderful. And, you know, Dr. Grandin, we have with us in the studio uh, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox, who is the director of the Autism Research Group. They're an organization that does research about things having to do with behavior that can actually help parents who are treating a child right now. And one of the things that they frequently do is they ask parents, what would you like to see uh, research done on? I'm wondering for you, is there anything that's on your w- wish, list of what research should be done? I think some of the most important research is on sensory. Because sensory problems
1: vary from being being very, very debilitating and and stop people from participating in normal activities. In fact, in my new book, The Autistic Brain, got a big extensive section on um, sensory issues, but that would be one of my top priority things. And we need to work on sensory subtyping. Some kids have visual problems. Well, the visual problems don't tend to be the artists and the industrial designers because their brains pixelate in the images. You know, Then you've got um, people with a lot of sound-sensitivity issues or the taste sensitivity, but start um, looking at not just as autism, but okay, this person has problems with the fluorescent lights visual problems, somebody else's sound sensitivity, and there has been some research that shows that the loud noises actually turn on the fear center. Mm-hmm. Yep, I can relate to that. But we need to be doing some sensory subgrouping, and then figuring out how to treat these
0: things. Yeah, I love that, Dr. Grant, and that, that you're pointing that out, because we've definitely, you know, in your typical ABA program, we treat all of these kids, right? And uh, and we're all kind of aware of these sensory issues, but honestly, they're just not dealt with to a sufficient degree. And so you'll see, you know, you'll ask a child to do some kind of learning task. And, you know, for the same task that seems pretty reasonable to you or me, uh, you know, five different kids on the spectrum might have five completely different reactions to that task, especially if it involves loud noises or if it's in a in a loud classroom with too many visual distractions or or if the materials that you're using are, are too strange of a texture or rice or sand or something for the child who's, who's afraid of Textured uh, materials touching their hands, um, and and so it kind of gets swept under the rug, right? If we don't if we don't actually address those things individually,
1: well, we so. need to be doing this. And I was very excited about this environmental enrichment method because this paper uses all easy things. You don't have to buy a lot of fancy equipment. I mean, they were using things like sandpaper, carpet, dud, uh, you know, some aromatherapy stuff, uh, uh, music CD on classical music, uh, just simple things, warm and cold spoons for for touch and and, and temperature um, stimulation, just very, mm-hmm.
0: very simple things. Fascinating. I'm wondering, Dr. Grandin, you, you mentioned that loud noises were something that were frightening to you. What do you think helped you to get to the point where you could manage that? Well, let the child control the noise. Okay, one of the worst
1: is microphone feedback. Mm. Okay? Give the child a handheld wireless mic. He starts to walk up to the speaker and just want to go, he can back off, where he controls it. He can turn it on and he can stop it. That's one of the things. Or let's say the kid can't tolerate going to the big supermarket because it's too noisy. Well, you let him control how much big supermarket he has to tolerate, and then when he can't stand it, he can give you a signal and you'll take him out. In other words, give the child control of the thing he finds totally nasty, and then sometimes that can help
0: desensitize it. Well, I we're we're running out of time with you, Dr. Grannon, but I, I wanted to take just one last minute at the end. You were you're there at the conference for the Autism Society of America. You gave the keynote speech this morning. They're having they've got a lineup of really incredible, incredible things for people to participate in this week. And I, I wondered if you could speak to why I know you're so busy, but you made the time to go to this conference. Uh, if you could talk a little bit about the Autism Society of America and why you felt it was really important to be there with those folks this morning? Well, the Autism
1: Society of America has a lot of chapters and affiliates that get out, communicate with a lot of people. Another big message that I talked about was build on strengths. Some kids are visual thinkers. You know, an artistic kind of career would be where they would want to go. That my ability in art showed up when I was in third and fourth grade. Other little kids are going to be mathematicians. They could go into the computer programming field. We got to work on building strengths. Other kids are writers. And some people are going to think I'm just an old fogey when I talk about video games. But I'm seeing way too many kids getting so addicted to video games, they're not going anywhere. I'm I'm not suggesting banning them, but we need to limit that to an hour a day.
0: Well, and I appreciate that advice. The first time that I met you, you told me about Khan Academy and suggested that I get my son started in Khan Academy. And this summer, he's been taking a class on Khan Academy to learn JavaScript so that he can animate things on the computer. And he's 11 years old. And it's really yeah. been it's been transformative. So I have to thank you. And I want you to know that I'm, I'm letting others know about that, your great advice about Khan Academy. It's free. And, and it's been a wonderful, wonderful resource. Source.
1: Well, that's absolutely wonderful that they're teaching JavaScript. That's a really important thing to learn. We've got to start figuring out how to use these free tools to give people skills they're going to need for jobs. Because one thing about the computer science field is, you show employers the right portfolio, you're going to get hired. That's and right. how did I sell cattle jobs? I showed off portfolios of my work, my drawings, my photos. Now today, you find put it on your phone. One thing that just drives me crazy is somebody will, this kid will say, i got great drawing skills. Why not do all this programming stuff? I said, do you have it on your phone? Because you never know where you're going to meet the person that can open the door. like Good the, point. on Like the bus stop at the supermarket on an airplane. You never know.
0: Love it. As always, Dr. Grannon, you shed such a light in a place that we're all looking to shed some light. We thank you so much for your time uh, and for being the outspoken advocate that you are for our entire community.
1: Well, I want to see people get out and be successful, and I also want to emphasize the DSM changes have made autism into this huge, broad spectrum, going all the way from people that'd be working at Silicon Valley, Einstein who had no language till age three, to somebody that remains nonverbal with a lot more severe handicaps. And it's
0: difficult lots of times for teachers to shift gears between those different levels. I agree. That's true. I agree. Well, we thank you so much. We know that you've got a lot to do today and that you're still at that conference. The Autism Society of America. I want to encourage people that if they're in the area, they should be there at the conference. Uh, But thank you so much for being a part of the show today. We will let you get back to what you're doing, but thank you for being with us.
1: Uh, It was great to be here. Thank you so much for having me.